You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. This Lent, if you've been with us, you understand that we're, we're taking up the practice of saying thank you. Today, I'd like to draw your attention to one word that expresses the heart behind those words. And that one word is appreciation. Appreciation. I, lo- I love this word. I looked it up in the dictionary and I read that it has three uh, definitions. The first one is recognition of the quality, value, significance, or magnitude of people and things. Second definition is a judgment or opinion, especially a favorable one, favorable judgment or opinion. And the third is uh, an expression of gratitude. That's the thank you. If you're writing those down and capture some notes today, you might just write down uh, the definition of appreciation is recognition of value, a favorable judgment, and an expression of gratitude. We've learned that the Bible teaches us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. We've learned that G.K. Chesterton wrote that the thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. We all want that. And yet the truth is there are times, people, places, and things for which we don't feel grateful, where the heart behind the words just isn't there. Some of you may have caught this story in the news recently. A man named Bob Ebeling uh, said this, uh, I think... That was one of the mistakes that God made. He shouldn't have picked me for the job. But next time I talk to him, God, I'm going to ask him, why me, you picked a loser? Now, if you saw the story, you know that the job for which God had picked Bob Eveling was to be an engineer on the Space Challenger uh, program, Space Shuttle. And he knew about the O-rings and that if it got below a certain temperature, they would freeze and that there'd be a high probability that the Challenger shuttle would explode. This happened, as you know, uh, 30 years ago, and there's not a lot to give thanks for uh, in that experience, particularly as we remember the loss of seven heroes. This was a spoiled launch, and these were spoiled lives. And Bob Ebeling says he has lived with guilt for 30 years. Who wants to say thank you when what is really needed to be said is, frankly, I'm sorry? Now, you may have someone in your life who you would rather hear say, I'm sorry, than to have to say thank you to them. Maybe there's somebody at work, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your family, your in-laws, your spouse, your father. In these relationships, you had every right to expect something good, but somewhere along the way, maybe even today, they continue to spoil that good. The relationship isn't what you want it to be. So how could you ever thank a spoiler? This is a question that Jesus puts before a man named Simon in the first century. He puts it to him in the form of several other questions, and he's trying to help Simon to see that great grace inspires great appreciation. So would you pull out your Bibles again, and let's turn back to the text uh, that Linda Whittlesley read for us earlier in the service, uh, Luke chapter 7, 
And because I, I want you to join in the privilege of reading God's Word together with Linda, I would invite you to stand with me and read just part of this, uh, which turn to page 840, where you'll find Luke chapter 7. Let's read together verses 41 through 43. This is the little parable within the incident, story within a story that Jesus tells Simon to help him learn that great grace inspires great appreciation. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Now, if you remember what Linda read earlier, you understand that this is a, a, a moment of hospitality. Simon is hosting a feast. He's invited Jesus. And from his perspective, there's not much to appreciate in the scene. In the middle of the meal, a woman who has a reputation for being rather unsavory in this particular city comes and spoils the meal. Simon recognizes it right away, and he perhaps also believes that she's a spoiler in the city, that somehow she disturbs the peace of the city. She may be a prostitute. She may be an adulteress. We don't know, but she has this reputation. And it's an unfortunate reputation, and frankly, she's going to show up at all. Simon would rather hear her say, I'm sorry. But she comes not to say, I'm sorry. She comes to say, thank you. In a most spectacularly beautiful way, she says, thank you to Jesus. And Jesus understands that Simon uh, is confused by this, and so Jesus puts to Simon three implicit questions to help Simon see what he seems not to be able to see in the scene that is unfolded uh, before him. I want to look at these questions with you. They are a challenge and an invitation to us as well. The first question Jesus puts before Simon is this, do you see who I am? Do you see who I am? This is the question that's at the center of the text, and you can see that if you read it to the end, everybody in the room will end up asking, who is this man? It's also the question at the beginning when Simon goes, if this man really knew who was touching him, if he were really a prophet, you know, he would recoil. He would not allow her to do what she's doing as she washes his feet with her tears, dries them with her hand. Who is this teacher who is this so-called prophet? Jesus wants to focus everybody's attention on this one question. Simon, in sort of social indignation, leans over to Jesus like we oftentimes do when we see somebody who seems to us to be unworthy and says, so, Rabbi, what do we think of this gal? Today I want to read to you a letter which I received recently from one of our family members, and I'm going to call her Wendy. We kind of got her in the witness protection program. Wendy came face to face with somebody for whom she had very little, I almost dare to say she had no appreciation. 
And she sent me this letter about this face-to-face experience that I thought was just wonderful, and I wanted to share it with you. And I'm going to read it to you with her permission in three segments today as we address these three questions that Jesus puts before Simon. And so the first part of the letter goes like this. Uh, Wendy writes, in the fall of 2014, a beloved teacher at my daughter's elementary school was accused and eventually convicted of interacting in disturbing and inappropriate ways with a teenage girl. This man had been my daughter's favorite teacher when she was in class two years before. We socialized with his teacher and his wife and daughters. We regularly baked him the cookies he loved. We had trusted him with our daughter. Needless to say, the entire school community, staff, students, and parents felt heartbroken, betrayed, and so angry. Worse, even after he was convicted, he never acknowledged or apologized for causing so much pain. That made me mad. As he and his family still live in our neighborhood, I braced myself for the time that I would run into him. I practiced what I would say, and believe me, I planned to let him know exactly what he had done to our community and to my daughter. After all, He was a creep. He was a coward. He was a a weed. Now, what we want in a situation like that, you and I, is a prophet. We lean over hoping that there's somebody in the room who would dare to tell the truth. Somebody who would call down the fire. Someone who would stand before David in all of his injustice and guiltiness, look him in the eyes like Nathan does, you remember we saw a couple weeks ago, and say, you are the man. That's what you want. That's what Simon wants in this room when this woman walks in and starts to touch Jesus. He's hoping Jesus will take the prophetic stance against her. Be a prophet. Simon's tempted to do it himself, uh, but he's too polite to say these words in public. He's actually... A really good man, Simon. We think of the Pharisees as the bad guy in the story, but they almost never are. Uh, They were not thought of as hypocrites in the first century. They were thought of as activists, reformers. These were the good guys in the story who had taken God's word seriously, want to put it into action and call Israel back to the truth that there is a God. But Jesus turns out to be quite a disappointment to Simon at this point. Uh, He is a prophet, proves that by the fact that he responds not to what Simon says, but simply to what Simon thinks. Jesus seems to read his mind, tells this story in reactions to Simon's unspoken thoughts. Yes, he's a prophet, but he's not primarily responding to Simon's thoughts. He's responding to the sinner's tears, isn't he? He's moved by her. This woman, who probably came to anoint Jesus' head with her perfume, but could not get past his feet as she approached those who were laying around the table, broke into tears of joy. And this, this is the one who draws God's heart. There's a lesson in this. And the lesson has already been articulated by Luke in verse 34. I hope you'll keep your Bible open, where we read that the crowds looking at Jesus, trying to believe he is who he says he is, nevertheless call him a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The lesson is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Who is Jesus? Who do you think I am, Simon, Jesus says? And the answer is shown in his 
response to this woman. I'm a friend of sinners. And so for us, I think you won't find God in your white-hot indignation. You won't find God in your moral crusade. You won't find him in your persistent need to be right and to be good. But you will find him in your failure. You'll find him in your brokenness. You'll find him in your sin. You'll find him not in your smirk, but in your tears. So you just want us to pause here for a second and think about this. This is God's perfect revelation of himself, Jesus. God is saying who I am fundamentally is not a keeper of the moral code. Fundamentally who I am is a friend of sinners. I don't think you'll find another worldview, another religion anywhere in the world today that's ever existed that wanted to present its deity in this way or the highest good in this way. It's so destabilizing, it seems almost irresponsible. God says, I'm not with the enlightened one. I'm with the unenlightened. I'm not with the righteous ones. I'm with the infidels. I'm not with the winners. I'm with the losers. Simon, I want you to know who I am. This is appreciation. God places value on the one who's least and lost and last. He appreciates sinners. Well, there's another question that Jesus puts before Simon. He says, Simon, do you see who you are? You see who I am. I'm a great savior, friend of sinners. But you need to know who you are. He asks this question in verse 44. I think it's implicit when he says to Simon, do you see this woman? He's implying, Simon, I don't, I don't think you're seeing who's in this room. Do you see her? Because he's going to suggest that she's a little bit of a mirror. If he can't see her, he might not be able to see himself. To help Simon see himself, Jesus tells him this story. We all know that this is what Jesus tends to do. He just tells these parables. And here's a beautiful little parable told to a person. that We get to see his reaction to it. There are two people who owe more money than they can afford to pay. And the creditor sees this and just says, I cancel the debt. Now, interestingly, the Greek word that's there is the Greek verb form of the word grace. Jesus just says that the creditor just graces. He just gives. That's where we need to cancel the debt. This is grace, right in the middle of this story, in the middle of this scene. Jesus wants to talk about grace. Now, I think when Simon hears this story, he's kind of interested in the story because there's a differential in the debt, and he, he would focus on that. You know, one of them owes 500 denarii, which denarius is a, day, is a day's wage for a labor, so it's like a year and a half's wages. Another guy owes 50, it's you know, a month and a half's wages or so, and he goes, oh yeah, because I know who is who in this room, right? And then he's starting to think, but well, wait a minute, are you implying that I owe a debt? <laughs> I was prepared to think that I was better than her, but I wasn't prepared to think that I'm also as bad as she is. Who are you really, Simon? This uh, letter continues. Wendy writes, as I said already, after all, he was a creep, he was a coward, he was a weed. And then I heard your sermon, 
and could not help feel convicted. Just pause there. Remember several weeks ago in January, we talked about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And the idea there, Jesus says, just don't be so sure you can tell who's wheat and who's weed. Better for you to treat everybody as though they were wheat. And we talked about neighboring like family. And so she hears this sermon and she feels convicted. And she says, who am I to determine who is a weed? I've not done what this teacher did, but surely I'm a sinful person who makes bad choices and is driven by selfish desires. As Paul tells the Romans in chapter 12, verse 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Yes, I'd been very good at thinking myself as better than this teacher. Out to do some errands the same Sunday afternoon, I found myself driving in the direction of his house. Uh-oh. Feeling queasy because I knew I was going to make a detour that I did not want to make. But the Holy Spirit is a mighty and loving force. I knocked on this teacher's door. So on her way, just to do some errands, she starts to identify with this teacher. Now, I picture her looking into her rearview mirror and seeing the eyes of a spoiler looking back at her. Maybe I, in some way, am a spoiler too. Jesus asks Wendy to identify with this teacher's sin so that he can identify with her experience of grace. I think there's a Simon and a sinner in all of us. I really love this passage. You've heard me talk about it at least three times before. Um, it's a favorite of mine because I think all of us have a Simon and a sinner in the city inside of us. You know what I mean? Uh, we kind of clean up our lives and um, we invite Jesus into our lives, hoping to host him and entertain him. Imagine Simon, great expectations for this. I'm going to get to have a face-to-face -face with a teacher. Oh, all day he's been cleaning, he's been cooking, he's been hiding things that he'd really rather not, uh, the good company see. He's been arranging, decluttering, everything's just so, so that when the prophet arrives, he'll be impressed with Simon's life. And it's just the way Simon would want it to be. It's his respectable self doing his most respectable thing in a respectable hour for a great Savior. And then what happens? A party crasher, a disruption, and his inner sinner in the city all of a sudden burps out right in front of Jesus. Oh, I thought we had that caged. No. Out comes the sinner in the city doing things that she should never do. And Simon, the whole afternoon has been spoiled. I didn't invite her. I don't know her. I have no idea why she's here. Don't touch her. Let's just both of us move her to the side. Are we a sinner? Or are we a saint? The interesting thing about this woman is she is a sinner in the city, but she doesn't come to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't experience her or react to her as though she were a sinner. How could she be both? How could you and I be both? The language of the Reformation gives us this wonderful Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator. This is Martin Luther. At the same time, those who have faith in Jesus are both justus, which means righteous, et peccator, which means sinner. We are sinner by nature, but we are righteous by God's gracious declaration in Jesus Christ. Your debt has been forgiven. 
You have no need to come into my presence and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what? The debt has already been paid. It's already been canceled. Great grace. This woman seems to understand that. We don't know how she understands this. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus says to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, and they all marvel at that. Perhaps she's lingering in the back of the crowd. Perhaps the word comes to her through the gossip networks of uh, the city. But somehow she has believed that that word applies for her and that her debts have been canceled by Jesus Christ. She's not a sinner. Truly, she's a saint. Now, I think Jesus wants Simon to see this woman as a mirror in his life because he does not yet know that he is both sinner and saint. He should identify with her. Yes, her life is messy. Yes, Simon's life is messy. But the debt for both has been canceled. This is appreciation as favorable judgment. God has made a favorable judgment in your case. You are a great saint because of Jesus. And then there's a third question. Do you see what you have to give? This woman meets a great Savior who makes a great sinner a great saint. And now at last the question arises for Simon, what do you have to give? Jesus puts it to him this way. He says, which of the two of you will love Jesus more? You see that in verse 42? You know, the one who's forgiven a little or the one who's forgiven a lot. And then he looks at him and he says, you know what, Simon, you came in here. You, you didn't have a lot for me. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't give me oil for my head. And look at this woman. She's got so much. And it's really gratitude. It's just appreciation. I love the way the message quotes Jesus. It says, she was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. But of course, it isn't in her case, nor it needed be in Simon's case. I think he's trying to get Simon to appreciate this woman and her experience of gratitude. Of course, Simon, you don't have gratitude because you don't know me. And you don't know what I have to give you. And you don't know who you are. But someday you will. Someday, if you can appreciate me, you can appreciate her. So let me read the final third of this letter. This is what happens as Wendy stands on the doorstep of this spoiler. She writes, I knocked on the teacher's door and was greeted by his wife and two daughters. Then he came to the door. I felt even queasier. But the Holy Spirit kept me focused on my goal, be kind. I'm so sorry to intrude, I said, but I wanted to say hello and see how you were all doing. He gave me a hug, and we chatted for about 10 minutes. I did not tell him how he had hurt my daughter, his former colleagues, and his community, not to mention this teenage girl he had pursued and assaulted. And still, he offered no apology, but standing there talking to him, I didn't need one. His shame and remorse were so obvious. What a mess he was. What pain, embarrassment, and isolation he had experienced. And what a mess I am. I am a sinner. And for a good portion of my life, I was a weed. Best of all, when I drove away from this house, peace had replaced the ugly feelings I had felt for the past year and a half. I didn't have to regret anything I said or did. I just had to rely on the Holy Spirit and be kind. Now, I haven't told many people about this afternoon, partly because I worry others might think I had sided with this teacher over the victim. There really is freedom and forgiveness. 
and showing compassion to others and to our own weedy selves. Maybe deep down, we all want to be freed from the ugliness of judging others and holding on to hurt and anger. This is grace in action, is it not? This is grace turned into gratitude. And that's what she has. Both of these women, gratitude. I love the way she says, I was a weed. Was. She's holding on to her own experience of grace in Jesus Christ. She goes back because of the size of the dead in her life. By the way, the more she sees uh, the size of the dead in his life, the more she appreciates the size of the dead in her life. The more she does that, the more she appreciates the forgiveness that absolves them both. Great love follows great forgiveness. You and I have been saved by the precious blood of Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, if you want to know how much to be thankful to someone, you want to know how much they've done for you, and if someone comes to your house and leaves a note saying, I paid a debt for you, you don't immediately know how thankful you should be to them. Maybe they just paid the postage on a letter that didn't have a stamp. On the other hand, if they had paid 10 years of back taxes, wow, you'd be extremely grateful. And so there's this correlation. The, 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 to the degree you and I can appreciate the depth of our sin is the same degree to which we will respond with great gratitude and have more in our hands to bounce back to him and to the people around us. We have been bought, Peter tells us, with the precious blood of Christ. This gives us motivation. This gives us a sense of the extreme value that every single human being has to God. And for her, that value made it worth the boldness, worth the time to go see this man, time to hug this teacher, allow this teacher to hug her, and even to endure the potential judgment of others who wouldn't understand. This is appreciation as expression of gratitude, that third definition. What a beautiful way to thank Jesus, to thank someone who's unworthy. Taking together these three questions Convince me, at least, that great grace inspires great appreciation. I want you to think about yourself today. In fact, I'd like you to think about this letter that Wendy has shared with us. Maybe it'd be appropriate to talk to somebody about it, someone in your life, someone close to you. What do you think about that letter? To whom do you relate in that story? In what sense are you the teacher needing to receive grace? In what sense could you be Wendy? able to extend grace, and then talk to Jesus about that person, about you, and about a spoiler in your life. This is our practice this week. It's to say thank you to someone who is not worthy. And the surprise for Wendy was, as she's standing there in the doorway, she meets not only the teacher, but she meets Jesus. Did you catch what she says? Now I have more compassion for my weedy self, because I see the depth of his grace for me. Well, it was a gracious appreciation that broke the spell for Bob Ebeling, the NASA engineer. After 30 years of feeling guilty, he did an interview in which he disclosed his name to the general public for the first time. NPR broke the story, and um, over the last month, letters have poured into Bob's home. 
He's 89 years old, and he's sick, and his daughter worries about his depression, which is persistent. But as these letters begin to come, uh, people show appreciation for him. It's lifting his mood. One letter in particular was of most value to Bob. came from NASA. It said, we honor you, Bob, for trying to get the word out. And we, and we honor you by paying attention to all people who raise questions uh, today in our program. And he clapped his hands like this when he got that letter. And his daughter said he's never been the same. She called it a miracle. And when they asked Bob what these letters meant to him, he said two words, thank you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. We offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving today because you have offered your one and only son to give us everlasting life. Let him be our king and let us give witness to that king as we identify with those who have the same need we have, but who can receive the same incredible gift we have. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206 524-7301, extension 117.